Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through Matrix on the 24th of January 2012. For newcomers, I always suggest you make use of the website while it's still up there, cuttingthroughmatrix.com. You'll find hundreds and hundreds, actually over a thousand audios for download for free. And I try and give you reality, reality above the news, above the nonsense we're fed at the bottom or mushrooms, you know, kept in the dark and covered in you know what. So I try to get above that and show you how the big system, the big plan for the global world order started and who started it and the organizations, foundations, international money lenders who set it all up and have been working on this for over a hundred years to bring in the technocratic society. In other words, a society ruled by them at the top, of course, and all the think tanks beneath them working on every facet of society, a global society, right down to sustainable development and how many folk they'll need for the next 50 years, 100 years, etc., etc. And science is used heavily in with this. Academia is all on board with what what H.G. Wells called a modern utopia. We're pretty well there. Only it's our hell, of course. So help yourself to the website cuttingthroughmatrix.com. And remember, you are the audience that bring me to you. You can help me keep going by buying the books and this at cuttingthroughmatrix.com. And to do it, go into the site. Uh, you'll, you'll see a whole bunch of sites listed there. They're all mine. Uh, they all carry audios. They all carry transcripts in English or prints up of a lot of the talks I've given. And go into alanwatchsentinel.eu for transcripts in other languages. But you can buy the books and discs, as I say, from the U.S. to Canada. And you can use a personal check or an international postal money order. You can use PayPal. And some people to send cash across the world, Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal once again. Now, what I do is chronicle events as we go through these things. As I say, go through the history of the big players in the past 100 years or, or more who moved towards this global governance, as I like to call it, system, uh, even intentionally creating world wars. And Carl Quigley talked about that, touched on that, anything. The end justified the means. The more wars you have, the more people are put to their knees, the more bankruptcies there are, and then you give up your sovereignty. They hoped you would do it at World War I with the League of Nations to take over, and then at the end of World War II, they were rather blatant then with the United Nations. They really, really thought everyone was ready to give up sovereignty, but no, so they went back to work for up to the present time and brought it in through treaties, thousands and thousands of binding treaties from organizations under the United Nations you never ever suspect would have so much power, and they certainly have now, because, as I say, the Earth Charter, all these different charters have brought in, affect every single person on the planet as to where you can live, if they even allow you to live in a certain place, uh, or put up a house, uh, what kind of house, uh, and all that kind of stuff, right down to drinking water, what kind of food you're going to eat, uh, how you're going to disturb the local habitats. And part two of the Earth Charter is this year, actually, 
2012. And Mr. Maurice Strong will get pulled out of his coffin to come out and lead that one too. So I think I can hear the music in the background there, so I think it must be. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix. And we do live in such a facade of our world, isn't it? It's a facade. We, we, the, the government pretends that they're governing us and dealing honestly with us, even though that's a real joke. And we pretend that they are too, and we do what we're told. And so that's how the system is. Tyranny needs the participation of the masses, understand? All government does. Remember, government is an idea. It was somebody's idea at one time. And that simply became into what they call common law by the fact that you acquiesce to everything that they demanded and until they become tyrants. And then you still acquiesce. And because you do that, then it means that you're, you've given yourself over to them, body and soul, basically, to do as they will. But it's still an idea. And then out of the idea, you have all kinds of ideas of what kind of government is going to be. And then all the groups emerge, all the paid groups emerge. To, to demand that they rule over the, the masses, you know. Uh, and so we're always looking for a, a benevolent dictator, basically, to pop in and, and be Santa Claus and be all nice to us and keep everybody happy, which could never happen at all because there's, there's so many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of groups. The, the unfortunate thing about people is they always want to belong to a group, you understand. And it's understandable from the point of view in history because... It's only in, really in the 1700s, 1800s, that for the first time ever, individualism was given a chance. Before that, people always thought of them as themselves as belonging to the masses at the bottom. You only had nobility in masses, you see. And, uh, and as I say, in the 1700s, 1800s, into the 1900s, people had the first chance of being truly individualistic. Uh, and then you had the forces working against it, trying to get them back into the masses again. So what they do is cause strife, and then you, you join a group, you see. And every group wants to be the boss. It, it works every time. You understand, This is these are ancient techniques used from the most ancient times and passed down through special archives to those who rule you, you see. You'll never find this at university. Maybe, maybe a couple of them in, in, in the dungeons underneath them, but uh, otherwise you'll never get in there. And I've talked to professors before who say maybe one in 70, one in 80, perhaps, get, get actually get access to real archives. So we know for us, as I say, we have a, a well-planned, a, a long in, in the works planning too, obviously it had to be to bring in 9-11 and the whole century of change that it kicked off. That was obvious. Uh, and academia had been talking about the century of change, being all liberalistic and so on. Uh, since the late 1900s. So everybody in academia knew, oh, it's going to be big changes and everything's going to be equal and all that rubbish as they you know, skim off their, their big paychecks from the, the taxpayers for a sitting on their, their duff doing nothing all day except creating more communists. And that's, how, that's the way it really is. That's what their job is, is to create more communists and who give you the same drivel of, of distributing the wealth across the world. They didn't mean the rich, obviously. It's never the rich. It's always less for you, you see. And, um, and now they're all fighting over your last tax buck. They're all at it now. They're all fighting each other to get your last tax dollar off you. Then they tell you to be austere and tighten your belts 
And, and then they tell you you've had it too good. <laughs> These are all the people at the bottom they're talking to. <laughs> and the folk still go out and vote, eh? <laughs> Uh, there's some comedy in real life, I'll tell you. But anyway, in Ireland, of course, uh, this really been hammered by the economic union, this massive super Soviet system they call the EU bloc, uh, that you don't even know who rules them anymore. You get the secretive bunch at the top, the commission they call it. No one knows who they are, or who, or no one votes them in. And, uh, it's a super Soviet system. The type that Karl Marx advocated. He said they should unify Europe and, and be a trading block, and then the same with Americas, and then a Far Eastern block, and then they'd all have to compete with each other. They love this competition stuff, eh? They get all the cattle to compete each other. There's a Hereford bunch over there in England. We'll get them competing with so-and-so over there. And that's how they do it all. And we go along with this stuff, this rubbish. And then we're all told to compete with China, who get pennies per day. What a joke, eh? And straight faces from Harvard tell us this stuff, this rubbish. Straight fate. I mean, it really is classed as comedy. All you're missing is a canned laughter, you know, behind the statements. We go along with this rubbish. Anyway, and the Irish, as I say, who are hammered, they don't really like the Irish much because it's the same allergies as Scots to tyranny. And they've been an awful thorn in the sides of people for an awful long time. And uh, we put up an article tonight where you actually, it's a little video on it too, where Vincent Brown of Ireland uh, really goes at the, the, the EU's banking boy um, to get him to answer a question, which the guy, is Klaus Masuch, I think the guy's name is, from the, the European Central Bank, this conglomerate of private bankers now that have really won, <laughs> they're dominating all the civilians, the, the, the banking class, you know. Uh, and, and so he goes after them to answer a question and, and ask them why, why the Irish are paying billions of, 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 of pounds, you know, every year to this ECB for the same bunch of banks that made bad investments in Ireland in the first place. So it's going to go on forever, of course. So he asks this question, and you'll see this squirming Claus Masuch, or whatever his name is, uh, squirm away there and get to... And get advice from his little, I don't know if it's a female next to him, it's a thing, you know, next to him, who, who you know, tells him to cut him off, etc. Don't, don't, don't talk to that man anymore, you know. But sure enough, uh, you'll find that Vincent Brown keeps at him, like a little terrier dog. And, uh, and eventually the EU bunch just give up. And you understand, the EU was not set up to be a democratic system. Years ago, I watched, uh, generally they get public relations experts for every department the, of the, of the United Nations to talk to the, the general public and, and, and sound almost human in a sense, you see. Uh, but once in a while, when there's somebody absent, one of the real people behind them, remember they're specially bred and reared at the United Nations. They go to special schools. Their children go to the United Nations schools to be authoritarian and they grow up to be authoritarian. And when you see one of them talking and you hear them, uh, you'll you realize what you're dealing with here. You're looking at a robot who looks down at you like your little microbe or something. And how dare you ask these questions, you little amoeba, you know. You have no idea how bad it is. But they want the same system in America, and they've used anti-terrorism to, to get their way, of course. 
and the bank crashes, which were all pre-plans, uh, and the banks lost nothing. They gained an awful lot, in fact, but they lost nothing. I'll touch on that tonight, because it was the Treasury that gave them permission. The ones, all the banks they, they bailed out in the U.S., it was the Treasury that gave them permission to carry on and give themselves the same wages and same bonuses. It's all planned this way. But that's the world we live in, eh? And we, we do have to be complicit in, in this, this comical farce that we're going through, don't we? We really do. Now, I'm going to put up a link tonight, and it's from, it's actually from Business Week, and it was about the U.S. versus rock and roll, about the Gibson Guitar Company I mentioned before that got raided because they use exotic woods. Now, there are some of them are banned, supposedly, to make their great guitars and give work to countries in other, or money to people in other countries that otherwise would be sitting with their hands out to the United Nations that will pay through our taxes back to them, you see. So it's no point in giving work abroad. It doesn't have to satisfy an environmental group and the rest of it. But it goes through some of the history of, of the Gibson guitar, why it's so popular. So any of the guitar buffs out there might want to, to, to read this article. I'll put that up for you to, to see. Now, I mentioned before IBM, when they have their big world meetings, this private, I call it IBM, because that's what it means, you see, it's IBM, you see. So it's, it's what they love to, to use in their little jokes at the top when they create these big organizations. And you should see that from the eye of Ra. The eye of Ra would put down beams from the eye, and those who caught the little hook at the end in the times of Atom uh, were blessed, you see. But they're all nobles. It wasn't for everybody. All the New Jersey think the sun gave out these little uh, little uh, lifelines with, with little anks on the end to everybody. But no, just for nobles only. Peons mean peons in every age, you understand. But anyway, IBM, when they have their big uh, world meetings, every corporation on the planet is there. So IBM leads, is a, they have these unspoken, you can always give little clues and little suspicions that there's a bigger organization that's on the go here. And uh, But no, they, 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 you'd be quite right to, to think that because they do have a big organization. It's a pyramid system of important or extremely important, very important, important and all the way down, you see. And so they all attend because they are the trendsetters and they're being authorized to be the trendsetters for the global grid system. All the different global systems are coming in and as we speak. IBM and World Environmental Center to lead new corporate sustainability council of major companies, which will then be passed on to you in sustainability. And it says, uh, Armonk, New York, and it says, um, IBM and the World Environment Center today announced the formation of the Innovations and Environmental Sustainability Council, comprised of leading global companies that will explore how innovation in business process and technology can enable strategic solutions to major sustainability challenges uh, involving materials, energy, water, infrastructure, and logistics. It also includes, by the way, your natural gas, your electricity, and everything else. So here's a private corporation, uh, the capstone here uh, of commerce, that uh, you didn't vote in for anything uh, going to have legal force by law. They're putting it all out, just like the Rand Corporation, all the ideas out that get signed into law so that they can screw you and call it sustainability. You see? So I'll put that up tonight too. And I can hear the music coming in now. 
and uh, I'll be back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, where we talk about global governance, that's what they call it, global governance, and and how we're all interdependent now, you see, and we can't do without each other, if one country goes down, my God, we all go down like dominoes and, and all that rubbish, but, but they keep repeating it into existence, you can repeat things into existence, very, very easy to do. Now in Israel, Israel they had uh, a few things happen there recently. I mentioned a couple of days ago about uh, the fact that uh, some of the ultra-orthodox rabbis there were having kind of street battles with uh, the, the more secular movements. And, um, and, and they really get pretty fierce, you know, when these orthodox guys get really into it. I remember before where they were going out and putting diapers, they were, or put this way, the contents of diapers on the windshields of folk driving in, on the Sabbath and stuff like that over there. But anyway, it seems that Soros apparently has got his hand involved with, with Israel as well to create these little incidents as, as well. It says in the summer of 2011, a 20-something Israeli named Daphne Leaf set up a Facebook protest page agitating against the high cost of housing in Tel Aviv. She pitched a tent and helped touch off a social protest movement that received national and international attention. While the protests were billed as grassroots, there was nothing grassroots about them. The protesters had been organized and funded by the New Israel Fund. Daphne Leaf worked as a video editor for the New Israel Fund. It's the same everywhere, though, isn't it? eh? In the winter of the same year, as the protest died down, a woman named Tanya Rosenblatt boarded the bus which runs through religiously hyper-conservative neighborhoods and staged an incident with the passengers. Rosenblit was dumped, dubbed an Israeli Rosa Parks, Parks Dean, I guess, and her stunt helped generate waves of articles about major social problems in Israel. Rosenblit was associated with One Voice, an organization funded by the New Israel Fund, again, whose board included uh, Alon Liel, the husband of New Israel Fund director Rachel Liel. Hadley had had the NIF gotten through manufacturing one phony social protest movement, then it was hard at work on another. The pattern in both social protests was traditional divide and conquer methodology that pitted the segments of society against each other with the goal of creating maximum disruption and mobilizing warm bodies to call for political change. That's what they do everywhere, though, isn't it? It's intending everywhere. The New Israel Fund is a local Israel version of Soros's shadow party, and it received money from Soros. The Leals are the ultimate insiders. Rachel Leal worked as a deputy director of rehabilitation services in the Ministry of Labor, and Alan uh, Leal was the director general of two ministries and a foreign affairs advisor to former prison, prison, uh, Prime Minister Ehud Barak. The real program is to bring the left to power. So games are going on there all the time. It's just, just amazing. It's just amazing. I might have put, mind you, it's not all bad in Israel. I read an article recently that Tel Aviv was the happiest place in the world. It's taken over from, from Paris, apparently. They said that right there, it was the gayest place in the world. They got a gay award for that. So if you're feeling the sands, the seasonal affective disorder, with all the clouds and spraying over you in the West, go to Israel, because apparently it's an awful happy place in, in Tel Aviv right now. And 
China, here's an article here. Well, he heard nothing about this, mind you. This is pretty routine with China, of course, that really took over Tibet. It says, China police fire on Tibetans, killing three. There's two articles I'll put up tonight. On, I'll put links up at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. But uh, it's a pretty, pretty typical article coming out of Tibet. It says, a situation at Cam Tuesday in a politically sensitive Tibetan region in southwest China, where witnesses and activist groups said security forces opened fire and, on protesters and killed as many as three people. Well, I'll guarantee you one thing. Uh, you won't hear Soros on about this. You won't hear Madeleine Albright on about it, Hillary Clinton, the United Nations, NATO, or anybody else, or, or Mr. Richard Haas of the CFR. They won't say, my God, they're killing the citizens and send in NATO here, will you, boys? Oh, no. <laughs> won't happen, eh? Anyway, several thousand Tibetans in Gansi Prefecture and Sichuan Province marched to government offices Monday and police opened fire into the crowd. An overseas Tibetan activist group said in statements, three Tibetans were killed and nine wounded in the violence in the prefecture's Luhuo County, an international campaign for Tibet said. But as I say, you can forget this one because n- nobody is going to say, oh, we've got to go. they're killing the people, we've got to get in there, you know. Unless maybe there's oil or gold in their mountains. Maybe that'll do. Now, America has got an awful shock to come because under the United Nations, there's a United Nations scheme, by the way, for those who think it's all to do with America. See, we're all global now. Uh, this new healthcare system uh, that they're bringing in, and the actual RAND Corporation did it. I mentioned that about two years ago. Uh, the survey for, for the U.S., and they said they were going to copy the British system, which is decimated right now. Uh, I mean, if you t- go to a hospital in Britain, you're taking your life in your own hands, really. You know, if any sense, you would be and walk away. Uh, general practitioners, that's a doctor, sent me away 13 times. This is a fairly routine type story. Sent me away 13 times and dismissed me as neurotic. Now I've been told I'm dying of cancer. This is fairly, fairly typical now. Half the doctors you can't understand because they come from India and places like that. So a mother has been given 18 months to live after doctors failed to diagnose her cancer more than a dozen times. Ruth McDonoghue, uh, is 46, pleaded with GPs as doctors for two years to test her for the disease, but repeatedly fobbed off and dismissed as neurotic. Medical records show she visited GPs 13 times complaining of symptoms before she was finally diagnosed with bowel cancer. And now it's too late, folks. Try suing the government. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. I'm back, cutting through the matrix, reading an article about the coming, what's happening in Britain, but what's coming to America, too. I know this because I'm talking to a lot of people from hospitals across the states, and they're closing down wards all over the place, and hospitals, too. Even renting floors out of hospitals to, to private clinics and things. Anyway, it says uh, this was happened to this woman here. Went to the hospital three times, thirteen times, and they just diagnosed her as neurotic. 
uh, despite being in excruciating pain, doctors told her simply to take warm baths. There's a good treatment for, for cancer. Or eat different foods. And when she came back so ill she couldn't eat, an extraordinary doctor's note said she was prescribed a herbal remedy with a GP noting, admits is neurotic. I guess it must be a foreigner, admits is neurotic, you see. By the time she was diagnosed in January last year, doctors found the tumour had progressed to the most severe stage, rendering it virtually impossible to treat. It's now, the tumour is now four inches long, spreads to the bottom of her spine, and is likely to kill her. Her only hope is an operation that would involve removing the tumour with part of her spine, but she's been unable to find a surgeon capable of carrying it out. Her chance of survival, such as an operation, would be low, and if she did, she would be uh, unable to use the lower half of her body. Because these stupid, these guys, these guys should all be disbarred. Eh? They, should be dis- they should be sweeping the floors in the hospital. But that's what you get on a, on a national health service that's been absolutely decimated by government. That, that system over there used to really work. That's been decimated by government because they don't want private, you see. That's the agenda. You'll get a private thing, a walk-in clinic private. That's guaranteed under the United Nations. We have to get the minimal care. You know. Look up the charters of the United Nations. Anyway, this woman is uh, instructing solicitors to compile a compensation claim against the NHS to help provide for her son, Brandon, who she's going to leave behind. She said, I knew the symptoms of bowel cancer, so I went back again and again, but I couldn't get anyone to take it seriously. I was just fobbed off. I was in such excruciating pain that I couldn't eat. It was obvious that something was seriously wrong with me. I've been failed by the NHS. I might have been cured by now. I've been diagnosed with the symptoms when the symptoms began. That's probably very true. She said, who's going to look after the son? Uh, after uh, It's been awful for him. He's having nightmares. and even wrote to Santa asking for me to be Cured, it's heartbreaking. Well, that's, that's how it goes, eh? Medical records show Mrs. McDonough, uh, a divorcee, first visited her GP December 2008 when she complained of bleeding. That's the first symptom. You get bleeding, that's the first thing you must look into. What's causing you? Is it polyps? What is it? Is it hemorrhoids? FBA, check it out. You always check it out to make sure. You shouldn't even get an, uh, uh, an examination. She asked the doctor whether it could be due to bowel cancer, but was told it was a result of digestion problems. This, where's this guy been trained? Huh? Where, where, where's he been trained? In the Congo or something? You know, where they cut chickens and scatter the blood over you? Over the next two years, she visited GPs in Potter's Bar and Enfield 12 times, complaining also of bloating and abdominal pain, both symptoms of disease. In June 2009, she was referred to Chase Farm Hospital for an X-ray which found severe abnormalities in the bowel. But several days later, when she visited her GP yet again, she was told to take warm baths and drink warm fluids. I think I'd have put the GP head down in the bath. Iona Millie, a solicitor at Russell Jones and Walker, said she feels very strongly that she brought the key symptoms to the attention of the medical professionals. By the time she was diagnosed, many of the treatments were no longer available. It progressed beyond those stages, you see. Anyway, the website's up there to try to get cash in, uh, helpruthie.co.uk, to raise the funds and seek a doctor to volunteer to carry out the operation that might save her. She said, if it weren't for my son, I might give up, but I need to keep fighting for his sake. But uh, this is the stuff. This is this is the National Health Service now that they've decimated it. That was always the plan. To de- Same in Canada, by the way, folks. Same in Canada for Canadians that don't know it too. 
I know a guy in the West Coast there who ended up in charge of a whole bunch of hospitals, started as an engineer in the hospital, and he was inside an, uh, a, a heating duct when the head of the hospital got a call from the Prime Minister telling him, this is years ago, saying, we've got to start crisis in the hospital, crisis in the hospital, get out of that into the newspapers, because eventually they want to privatise it all. You see? Not kidding, folks. Now, <laughs> they, they keep telling you how, how, this is quite a story. It's in Canada again, but it's happening everywhere else too. It says, Russ Loder and his wife Kathy moved into an apartment on Colburn Street in Oshawa eight years ago. The building was new and clean and is run by Gateway Community Home as most of the tenants pay rent gear to income. Russ and Kathy, he's a teacher, she's an interior decorator, pay market rents. And so on and so on and so on. They're happy to move in because it's got a nice view, yada, yada, yada. They got their wish a few years ago, but in moving across the hall, they moved into hell. Shortly after unpacking, they began to get sick. Russ, who has arthritis, said, My feet are size 10. They swelled up to size 14. Worse, he soon developed gaping sores in his legs, and his ankles ballooned and his toenails rotted off. Right? Keep listening to this one. Kathy said, I also lost my ankles. I had skinny ankles before we moved in. She rolled down her socks. The swelling is visible and doesn't look right. You don't want to see her toenails. Russ, who used to be an amateur runner, said, I had to have home care for a year because my sores. People thought I was an AIDS patient. The ailment seemed weird and inexplicable, but then a couple of years ago, a light went on because Russ, Russ typed his symptoms into the internet and found a clip of dancing cows as a veterinary a veterinary description of an illness cows get. It seems that when dairy cows live in barns, they have a strong electromagnetic field underfoot. They're unable to stand still. In time, their hooves rot, their joints swell, and they develop weeping sores. Russ immediately found a specialist attested apartment for the presence of an electromagnetic field. The results, he went into the bathroom, he came out white. On the back of the meter, used to test for EMF radiation as a caution. When EMF levels are higher than three gas, uh, biological damage can occur. The level beneath the, the loader's bed registered 100 gas. Russ was able to track the levels throughout the apartment, 100 the bedroom, 75 in the office, 50 in the hall. You remember what I said about a light turning on? Russ discovered that he's able to, to light a small bulb using nothing but a ground wire, a piece of tin foil, and the current running under the floor. Just like Tesla. They moved into their bed, into the living room, but they're still ill. I says, I'm no scientist, nor am a doctor, nor an electrician, but no one living in my apartment anywhere in the world ought to be living or able to light up a bulb by touching it to the bottom floor, or the bedroom floor. Russ did more research and showed that the results in the building manager, no response, he wrote to his landlord, and got this reply from the board of Gateway Homes. The board takes the position that electromagnetic fields do not cause any medical ill effects. Our toenails are very, very well, thank you. I decided that last bit myself. The board is not aware of any heavy wiring near your apartment. The reply also indicated that if there was a problem, it was probably coming from his computers. Oh, <laughs> there's a thing. That put you off computers, eh? Russian wrote to the Ministry of Municipal Affairs and Housing, who ducked a problem but referred him to the Ministry. That's what you get in this, this governance idea. Everybody passes the buck, eh? The Ministry of Health. He got this reply from the Ministry of Health. Unfortunately, your problems lie outside our jurisdiction and the Ministry is unable to be of assistance. Why do we pay them all as cash? 
So he went to the landlord and tenant board and he brought Dr. Magna Havis with him, a scientist at Trent University and one of the world's leading experts in electromagnetism. The LTB judge was impressed enough with the presentation. He invited himself over to the loader apartment in order to see the problem himself. And then he ruled against them. <laughs> he says, I don't know why Russ and Kathy are real. I cannot summarize the work of Dr. Havis, nor can I explain the decision of the LTB, and I don't give a fig for the weasel words of provincial cabinet ministers. But I do know that there is an abnormally strong electromagnetic field running through the department of Russ and Kathy, and it's powerful enough to turn on the light, and it's simply wrong. Yet no one has the guts to act. So there you go. Remember I read the one last year where the folk in the, the topmost apartments of a, a big high-rise in Toronto were all having headaches and sick and nausea, and it was all the cables on the top of the roof from all the satellites, etc., etc. They were downloading stuff. And you can get it too when people are using a lot of, even in businesses are using a lot of Wi-Fis next door to you, you'll get it as well. But it's safe, it's perfectly safe, don't you know? Yep, perfectly safe. You're, you're just like cows, you know, your, your hoofs will rot off, but we can give you different grass to chew, that will help it. Just like that poor woman that was sent home with cancer. Quite something, mate. Quite something. Now, the US have so many folk with sick in war zone countries now. Partly because of the depleted uranium, of course, which they use to bomb and, and blast the countries and shell the countries with. But this is interesting. It ties in with the spraying we're getting above us uh, since 1998 across the Western world. Navy researcher links toxins and war zone d- uh, dust to ailments, it says. U.S. troops in Iraq, Afghanistan, Kuwait are in, have inhaled microscopic dust particles laden with toxic metals, just like us, eh? Of course, you see we're not getting it here. Bacteria and fungi, a toxic stew that may explain everything from the undiagnosed Gulf War syndrome, symptoms lingering from the 1991 war against Iraq to high rates of respiratory, neurological and heart ailments encountered in the current wars, scientists say. Now, that part is awfully interesting, heart ailments, you see, in young men. Because yesterday I mentioned that I know people who do harvesting heart, lungs and so on. And uh, they're turning down the hearts of people who are over 25 now, even if the rest of the body is lean and the, the, the vessels going in and out of the heart are clean uh, because there's little infarcts all through them. But these folk haven't been to wars. They just happen to live in America and Canada. So here's these guys over there, and, yeah, they have to do investigation, and it's stuff in the air and metal, metallic toxic metals. And what do they put in the spray? Well, we know darn well they've got aluminum oxides, barium, and other metallic substances, which also will collect uh, fungi and everything else on the way down. Think for yourselves, folks, because no one's going to do it for you. I'll also have a link up, too, to aluminum and fluoride, uh, and it equals Alzheimer's and dementia, because, you see, the fluoride activates the aluminum as well. Interesting that. Like, they didn't know this, of course, years ago, when they started spraying to us, spraying us. And this is from Farm Wars. This is chemtrails contain the oxide of metals, according to this geoengineering patents. These substances are supposedly, are supposedly sprayed to our atmosphere for beneficial climate manipulation or geoengineering, and residue tests indicate excess aluminum oxide in water and soil after heavy chemtrailing. That's why, of course, Monsanto brought out the 
uh, the plants now that are aluminum uh, resistant for aluminized soil. Just coincidence, of course. Fluoride is put in the water to prevent tooth decay. Both of these actions, geoengineering and fluoridation on the surface, appear to be beneficial with only good intentions behind their implementation. Then it goes into how aluminum and fluoride interact with each other in incredible ways, too. I'll put this one up tonight for you. Now, Solyndra. Everyone's here with Solyndra. Uh, of course, that was a big multi-million dollar uh, white elephant that the U.S. sunk your tax money into. Pals of Obama and the rest of the boys all benefited from it. And it, and it was defunct in no time at all, bankrupt. Uh, and and it's, it's, it says here, bankrupt Solyndra is caught destroying brand new parts. It says, uh, after filing for bankruptcy last year, Fremont Solar Company Solyndra still owes American taxpayers half a billion dollars. It's a lot more than that, folks. But CBS5 caught them destroying millions of dollars worth of parts. As Solyndra's sprawling complex in Fremont, workers in white jumpsuits were unwrapping brand new glass tubes used in solar panels last week. They're the latest, most cutting-edge solar technology, and they're being thrown into dumpsters. Forklifts brought one pallet after another, piled high with a carefully packaged glass. Slowly but surely, it all ended up shattered. And it's not just a few loads. Hundreds of thousands of tubes on shrink-wrapped pallets will meet a similar demise. Cylindra paid at least $2 million for the specialized glass. A CBS5 crew found one piece lying in the parking lot. Cylindra still owes the German company that made the tubes close to another $8 million. Well, again, the taxpayers when they pay that too, isn't it? So why is a bankrupt company that owes a fortune to creditors, including American taxpayers, throwing away millions of dollars worth of assets? Cylindra is not commenting, but court documents reveal the company received permission from the bankruptcy trustee to abandon the high-grade glass, the court agreeing that it was inconsequential value because the cost of storing them exceeds their value. What rubbish. Like no other company would buy them. But, of course, it's because this big things go behind the scenes, and of course the company makes the glass will want to make brand new ones for somebody else, and there's be some big shark at the top that owns that. Years ago they had a, a war in the Falklands, back in the early 80s, at the time in Cincinnati they've always said it was about oil, because they knew there was oil there, Argentina wanted to get in the act, and Britain eventually got encouraged actually uh, Argentina to get into war, by saying they wouldn't do anything about it if they wanted to take back uh, the Maldives, as they called it at that time. So today, years after the fact, I always tell you the truth, they all grab in Falkland Islands, seen tripling UK reserves. 30 years after Maggie Thatcher fought a 74-day war with Argentina over the Falkland Islands, the prospect of an oil boom is reviving tensions. Everybody laughed at me when I, years ago when I said this was all about oil. Oil exporters are targeting 8.3 billion. But that's only, the only reason I knew all that is because I used to meet all the oil guys around the North Sea. I used to travel back and forth all the time on ships. And, um, and they'd tell me, these guys were, they were boring all over the world. They, t- they would tell me where the big oil was. And, and they even told me they wouldn't touch it for about 30 years around the Falklands. Oil exporters are targeting 8.3 billion barrels in the water waters around the islands this year, three times the UK's reserves, and on and on it goes. So there you go, and the big banks are in there, Morgan Stanley and all the rest of the guys who are in on it, big time, as always. In Britain, uh, they've, they've relaxed the cannabis laws. It says, caught with, if you're caught with six kilos of cannabis, you could still avoid jail. Drug runners and dealers could avoid prison, even if caught 
with heroin, cocaine, or thousands of pounds worth of cannabis. It says, uh, sentencing guidelines issued today said that offenders who play a limited role in gangs could face community orders for intent to supply Class 8 drugs. That's like community service rather than jail. Dealers caught with 6 kilograms of cannabis valued at £17,000 and enough to fill 30,000 joints or keep an average user in supply for 17 years could also avoid prison. The sentences on drug mules will be cut substantially, while workers in small cannabis farms could escape custody. Uh, courts will be told for the first time to reduce sentences for cannabis possession if it's being used for medicinal purposes. So everybody in Britain, I guess, must claim that they're ill, which they probably are. The guidelines maintain uh, tough sentences for gang leaders and those who sell directly to the public, especially to children. So that's quite a joke, that one. I can remember when all the, when they were flooding people from India into the country, and many of them were coming in, of course. They were big shots too, lots of cash, buying up streets. And they were bringing in the stuff then. The government knew all about it, that they wanted to bring all the stuff in. It was all to come in with the drugs and rock and roll stuff, you know, and, and all the craziness that came with it. Destroy society, you know. Back with more after this break. We're back, cutting through the matrix, and uh, I'll take the caller. Is Darren from Ireland on the line? Dear Darren. Hello, Alan. How are you? Not too bad at all. Yeah. Um, there's just something I've been noticing as, as increasingly a lot of news and in papers and magazines is uh, genetic engineering. And I also recently seen in the news today, on the Irish news, that they found a gene that uh, increases speed horse or a uh, horse's speed. I don't know if you've seen that. I just think it's funny how the putting it out there now increasingly more and more, mm-hmm. and you can kind of see it's going to end up going, and obviously going to go end up going to genetic engineering of people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There'll be more and more of this occurring, especially if if they claim the the claim that they they may be able to extend your life by extending mitochondrial DNA and stuff like that. Uh, and folk will go into it to get things done to them, or done to their children, of course. But you, remember I read an article last week, for instance, where uh, they, they used a third party to so-called enhance uh, the, 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 the child that they're going to create, uh, taking all what they call the bad genes or the ones that may make them uh, Huntington's career or something. always give you a horrific thing. Or it may, may, may even just be an allergy. Oh, well, this child won't have an allergy. Let's pop this gene out and take one from a third party and take the mitochondria from a third party. But what they don't realize too, uh, you, you can get a disease from the third party. And one of them it was actually called Kawasaki's disease. So this, this British couple had a third party and it's a Japanese woman and uh, it's a quite nasty, nasty disease in fact. And uh, so this child ended up having Kawasaki's disease. I, th- I should think it was somebody with motorbikes, which I quite love, actually. But um, it's, it's not that at all. It's, it's, a, it's a physical disease. So all their promises end up as not. So you have to really ask yourself what they're really after. And what they're after is exactly what Bertrand Russell said, uh, that the governments will be unable to resist the temptation to tinker and tamper to create the, pem- the, the perfect, obedient citizen of the future. That is what it's all about. And I 
also remember um, last year the article or sorry, the audio you posted up, I think it was from the BBC or the CBC, to do with the, uh, the EMF, um, EMF disturbances in the, in the apartment. But yeah. there's actually something also here I have because I'm kind of interesting. It's from uh, the psych- Psychology Science. Uh, it, was the, it was an article at the end of 2008. A team of uh, researchers led by psychiatrist Mac, Mark um, Freeman recruited some three dozen people to, and subject them to rigorous and mental fatigue series of tests, tests designed to measure the capacity of their working memory and their ability to exert top-down control over their attention. The subjects were divided into two groups. Half of them was spent a half an hour walking through a secluded woodland and the other half was spent the equal amount of time walking through a busy down, uh, downtown street. The group, the both groups took a test and uh, took the test a second time. Spending, spending the time in the park, the researchers found significantly improved people's performance on the cognitive tests, including a substantial increase in attentiveness. Walking through the city, by contrast, led to no improvement or little improvement at all. So it's kind of funny that even even the city itself is just completely unnatural and it's uh, really. Uh, yeah. structure yeah, Plato said that himself. He says that the cities are completely unnatural structure. But he says we shall use them, he says, because we can promote ideas and they'll copy them very quickly in a city. So they could, in other words, speed up the so-called societal evolution of people into new ideas much, much quicker through cities. You're quite right, yeah. But thanks for calling. It's from Hamish Marcel from Ontario, Canada. It's good night to me. Your God or your God's go with you.